five, four, three, three two, one. one. Ooh, the hand motions were really nice. That's a real nice touch. <laughs> I, I, CJ like seemed to forget at one point. Well, I was like, what number was it? I always. It was three. <laughs> I got nervous. <laughs> it was three. I said it. I said it. Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, the season three finale. This is a game show where we grab our two friends from Florida and we go head to head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert, and I'm notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am behind the judge's table and I let others do the mystery solving themselves. Those people who are going to be solving mysteries today are Megan Gailey from the new I Love a Lifetime movie podcast and CJ Toledano from Follow Through. Megan and CJ, how's it going? What's up? Hi, hi, hi. We are married, but we are in separate locations. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to prod, but you are not in the same area, so hopefully everything's okay, and I didn't <laughs> catch you at a terrible time. <laughs> As you can see, I have a twin bed behind me in this office space. Um, things are not going great. CJ, he couldn't work with me walking by his home office and me going, I go, hello, what's going on? So he decided to leave the home for good. I don't know. We'll see. Mm, okay. All right. Well, CJ, I hope you enjoy sleeping on the couch tonight. Hopefully that's <laughs> a fun experience for you. <laughs> so the mysteries that we're going to be solving today are from The Mystery Files of Shelby Wu, a Nickelodeon classic. Are either of you either familiar with this show or were you big mystery solvers growing up reading books or watching something like Scooby-Doo? Uh, yes, I've, I've definitely been bullied by being called Shelby Wu. Um, you have? So oh, no, really? Oh, no. <laughs> well, I mean, and now's a, what a great time to talk about it than now than ever. Uh, but literally, any Asian insult growing up was just people referencing whatever... Different Asian people. Yeah. And these are all people thriving in their roles. So I've been called Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, Shelby Wu, all of it. And I'm like... That's a compliment. So I'm actually, yeah, I, I recall Shelby Wu, and I'm glad this is the mystery franchise we're, we're using. CJ, I'm really sorry to hear that. No, I'm okay. I have never heard of Shelby Wu, was never called Shelby Wu, but <laughs> I love mysteries. I'm actually on a journey right now to read every single Agatha Christie nice. book. And I'm, yeah, I loved Goosebumps. I fancy myself a, a PI. Okay. All right. I like it. I've set myself up for failure <laughs> now. I can feel it. <laughs> No, it's great. It's CJ knows the franchise. You know general mystery solving, so we'll see what reigns supreme. So here's how the game works. I'll be recapping three mysteries from the esteemed television program, The Mystery Files of Shelby Wu. Neither of you have seen them ahead of time, or at least hopefully you don't remember them. I'll lay out all of the clues. I'll ask for your accusations. Each correct guess will earn you points, but there's also bonus points at stake. If your guess matches my incorrect guess that I thought of before getting the notes together for this episode, you'll get a Misery Loves Company bonus point. And if anything, Anything happens where, you know, you throw a fun husband-wife dig at each other and you sort of trash talk is welcome here. I'm very on board for that. So I could throw bonus points around for whatever. So, you know. Okay, this is like around the horn. Oh, yeah. Great reference. You're the Tony Reale of the mystery world. Thank you so much because the more common comparison people will make is that... 
it is similar to whose line is it anyway. But those points inherently don't matter. But it really is around the horn where Tony just does points for whatever the hell he wants. And then whoever has the most points win. So, wow, I didn't realize I subconsciously did that. But thank you for putting it so clearly that I've ripped an ESPN program. You're welcome. And you know what? If you want to put that in your pitch when you're trying to sell this, I don't even need credit. Just take it and run with it. What I'll do is I'll give you a bonus point right off the Thank start. So you're you. already winning one to zero and that'll be the royalty payments. <laughs> no, this will be fun, but I just don't like the concept of a point system for my wife making fun of me. I'm not going to. Oh, <laughs> listen, I don't think Mike, you know, Mike is married. I'm sure he wouldn't want to be made fun of by his wife on a podcast. So CJ, there's a, and what I do, it's not making fun of you. There's an art to it. And I think you're cheapening it there. <laughs> OK, we'll talk about it in counseling next. Oh, boy, Dr. Jenny. (laughs) So since this is a game show for charity, you are playing for charities. So, CJ, what charity will you be playing for today? I'm going to do AAPI Women Lead. I'm ready, movement.org. Obviously, we brought it up earlier, but it's for resources and um, standing against violence against the Asian community, specifically women. That is fantastic. Very timely. We're recording this at the end of March in 2021, so it's very of the moment. What a great choice. Megan, what about you? I will be playing for Stacey Abrams Fair Fight, which is a national voting rights organization that is based in Georgia and had a massive impact on the 2020 election and now is facing an uphill battle with the most latest voter suppression law that was signed into the history books of shittiness um, in Georgia recently. Yeah, again, very timely. Uh, Just a couple days ago, they passed something where included in these harsh rules are you can't give someone food or water if they're standing in a really long line for voting, which like I love that the line for voting already shouldn't exist. But on top of it, people have decided, oh, we already have this really bad thing. We can't do something to help the bad thing. Now that's illegal. Terrible stuff. Anyone against snacks? is on the wrong side of history. Yeah. Okay? You want to be on the side that doesn't want snacks? You die on your shitty hill then. You die hungry. I feel like whoever that guy's opponent is in the future, that could be their entire platform. It's like, look, I love snacks. Yeah. And they'd have my vote. Yes. Diabetics will be on that side. Kids. Me for sure. People want snacks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's something we can all get behind. So let's put the pedal to the metal and get into our first mystery, which is called Tag Not It. And that's right. This is baseball themed. So we open with someone spray painting a logo. It looks like a W and an H overlapped onto each other onto a wall. And he's wearing a hat that has the exact same logo on it. But then the cops come, of course, and he tries to hide behind like an alleyway type thing. His pant leg gets caught on like one of those wooden pallets for loading heavy things. Can I ask a question? I'm sorry. I'm going to have a lot. of. Yes, (laughs) of course. Please, please. Yeah, Yeah. And is it clear that this person is a man or are we under the assumption that it's a man? It is vague enough where they are wearing jeans and like a baseball tee and a backwards hat. So you would think it's a guy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is for sure, man, he's far enough away where we can't tell who it is. If it's a crime, it's a man. I mean, <laughs> men, only men do crime. So he spray paints this, hides from the police. He ends up running away, but part of his pant leg gets caught on this wooden pallet. And now we cut to Shelby Wu. And this episode's from season one through three, somewhere in this is Shelby Wu. The first three seasons take place in Florida. The last season takes place in Boston. So this is a Florida episode, oh. which is very fun. So we cut to Shelby and her friends. In the Florida episode, she has different friends. They recast her friends for <laughs> for the fourth season. I mean, I think that 
makes sense because when you move schools, your friends don't come with you. Exactly. Did they recast Pat Morita? Shout out to him. No, Pat Morita, thankfully, is still in it. He's always solid throughout. If anyone is unfamiliar, he's also Mr. Miyagi, most famously. He is incredible in this show. Yeah. And any scene with him is just must-watch television. Perfect. So we cut to Shelby and her friends. Her friend Cindy says that her cousin Wayne and a friend of his did, and this makes me very sad, they did a free mural for the city for exposure. And with all seriousness, she says that they didn't get paid for it, but she said that they are aspiring artists, so it's great exposure for them to do a big mural on the city wall. And as someone that's had to do for exposure stuff in the past, it just makes me sad. Of course. I mean, <laughs> I hear it and I go, yeah, that's stand up. Okay, Wayne, it's a tough world out there. <laughs> So it is this sports collage. It does look pretty sweet. And they're doing it on a brick wall of a building in downtown Cocoa Beach, Florida. And he is doing it. His friend is a girl by the name of Julie. They're working on this together. And Shelby's other friend Noah asks Wayne if he's worried about wearing out his pitching arm because the big state championship game is tonight, as if painting with a brush is really going to give him, you know, he's going to need Tommy John surgery after using a paint roller and a tiny paintbrush. He says no, but then Paul, the relief pitcher on the team, comes up, rides his bike up, says hello. We're meeting a lot of characters, but it will slow down after this. Another new character that we meet across the street, we see a man in a karate outfit, full white outfit, black belt, everything. He is taking out the trash of the karate studio and like <laughs> is making a scene of it. He like throws the classic metal can down and takes the bag out all angrily and then throws it into the dumpster. And he's making eye contact with the two of them, Wayne and Julie, the whole time he does it. Mm. So Shelby Wu asks, what is going on? And Julie says that that is her ex-boyfriend, Bob. And he's jealous of Wayne because apparently Wayne told Julie that she could do better than Bob. They're not dating. They just paint together. And apparently offhandedly once he said, you can do better than Bob. And Julie said, I can do better than Bob. And then dumped him. And Bob knows that this happened. Okay. I mean, first of all, Julie should not have told Bob that Wayne said that. But I don't want to blame her. But it's like, Bob, if Someone can do better than you. That's on you for not being good. Yeah. But I mean, I guess he's a karate guy. That's impressive. I can't get over the visual of taking out the trash while in a karate uniform. <laughs> it's just anything you do when you're in a karate uniform that isn't karate is always going to be funny to me. It's going to be a tough look. And at one point, Noah, Shelby Wu's friend says, well, I heard Bob could break a board with his head. And Julie goes, yeah, well, no brain, no pain, which I actually chuckled at. Mm -hmm. So now we have the detective. For context, Shelby Wu is an intern at the local police department. She always works under a detective in these Florida episodes. It is Detective Heinlein. And he comes up to Wayne while he's painting this mural. And he shows a picture of that WH spray paint thing that we saw in the intro. And he asks Wayne if this is his graffiti tag. And Wayne wildly says, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. But I didn't do it. I do not understand why Wayne has told this detective willingly that that is his graffiti tag. But Detective Heinlein says that it was painted on a couple of stores downtown and it's known that it's Wayne's. So Wayne already is suspect number one here. But Paul, the relief pitcher and friend of Wayne who was here, he vouches for Wayne. And he says that he stayed over Wayne's place all last night. They were practicing baseball. He slept on his couch. And he said Wayne at no point in time left his house. So he doesn't think Wayne could have done it. Yeah, good job on Paul here. So Shelby, her friends, and Wayne all go to visit these tags downtown to see what's up with the spray paint. 
Wayne notices that the color is this bright electric blue, and he recognizes it as a signature color of another artist in town who he took art classes with named Kendra Cross. Mm. She apparently loves to use this really bright, vibrant blue in all of her different murals that she paints throughout the city. So he thinks right away, this could be Kendra. Wayne also, to give more suspicion to Kendra, notes that she applied to do the mural and apparently was furious when Wayne got the job over her. Ooh, it's tough when you lose free work. That's a... You will learn that there's a different wrinkle to this in a little bit, but all we know right now is that she was very upset. And Noah, Shelby's friend who was just here for comic relief, he goes, well, you know, artists, they're all sick in the head, uh, except for ones that also play baseball because it balances out. Like, no, Noah's got no chill, no understanding of social situations, but he's quick to shut up. He even just stops mid-sentence and goes, I'll be quiet now and starts to walk away. Oh, classic comic relief. God love him. <laughs> he stumbles backwards into the wing waiting for his next joke. <laughs> Whoa! Shelby then finds the pant ripping on that wooden pallet, and there is some blood on it from the nail sticking out of the pallet. I don't get why they don't just immediately go to the police station and do some sort of blood testing, but... Honestly, if they let that jump to the front of the line, I'm going to be pissed. There's a lot <laughs> of untested rape kits, and I don't think Ooh. tagging this needs to jump. So I actually think that's a smart move to be like, this is low on the priority list. Well put. Very well put. So instead, they're going to be on the prowl for their suspects to see if someone has a cut on their ankle, something like that. Oh, right. Okay. So now we get our first Pat Morita scene of the episode. Yes. Just great stuff. So he owns an inn in town. It's a bed and breakfast. And there's this incredible scene where he is very frustrated because his family, they love puzzles. They sent him one of those wooden box things that has a key and you have to try to unlock it. And he got it sent from his brother. Noah asks, what happens if you unlock it? And he just says, you win. If you unlock it, you win. I don't understand. <laughs> like, there's no stakes. You beat the puzzle. But he's so frustrated and so focused on trying to beat the puzzle. But he keeps giving out sage wisdom that helps Shelby, like, put things together while they're recapping potential motives for the suspects they've identified so far. So it felt Mr. Miyagi-esque where, like, he doesn't even know it, but he's giving incredible advice. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Shelby and Noah then decide to go to Karate Bob under the guise that the police department might want to set up combat lessons and they're <sighs> going to snoop around to see if Karate Bob has a cut on his ankle. They do notice that he has a bandage on his ankle, but Karate Bob says that a kid ran into him with a bike, which felt very very reminiscent of the 2002 film Spider-Man when Peter Parker's like, a bike messenger clipped me to Norman Osborn. I just, you can't make another karate thing with Pat Morita. Not, yeah, this too is close. Like, <laughs> yeah, is he not doing karate in it? That's what I was waiting for. No, so he's not. He is a retired detective. Okay. Which is fun because the people in the police department where Shelby works, they all know him. But also what's fun is that when Shelby gets into danger and stuff, his number one concern concern is Shelby not getting hurt. So he's always trying to keep her safe and keep her out of trouble, which is a fun, recurring and very heartwarming thing throughout the series. Could I ask, is this a paid or unpaid internship? She does get paid. I believe so. She wow. is just supposed to do odds and ends around the department. And she's just supposed to do things like help with filing and all that. And the constant struggle with her and the detectives is that she always finds her way to situate herself inside the cases and the detectives don't want her to do it. So that's how they kind of become kind of the 
they're not necessarily the bad guys, but they are the buzzkills. Okay, because right. every time Shelby starts snooping, the detectives are like, Shelby, you can't do this. And then she works away around them anyway to sneak after hours. Yeah. And she's like, if you were good at your job, I wouldn't have to be a teen solving the crimes. <laughs> exactly. 100%. Okay, great, great, great. So Cindy decides to go check out Kendra at her art studio. And while she's there, she pretends that she wants to commission her to do a portrait. And she brings up the mural. And here's where we learn that apparently Kendra had a deal in place with the city to do the mural. But then Wayne and Julie offered to do it for free. Oh, and Kendra was very mm. mad about that. She says, people like that make it impossible for professionals to make a living, which... She's right. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, Kendra. <laughs> She's right. If there was a union, Wayne and Julie, they'd be on the outs. <laughs> so now we cut to baseball practice and Noah, Cindy, and Shelby, we were all talking about how they feel about each of these initial suspects. So we see Wayne practicing. He's wearing that WH hat and it's his lucky hat that he only takes off for games when he has to wear the uniform or when he goes to sleep. And Cindy reveals that it is a hat for the Winter Haven Tornadoes, which is apparently one of the best, unfortunately fictional, Negro League baseball teams in Florida that their grandpa used to be the first baseman for. Amazing. Oh, cool. cool. Pretty fun stuff. I like the lore building here from Shelby Lou. I wish they were a real team. I'd wear that hat for sure. It's a pretty sweet logo. It's, it's a good looking thing. What I do appreciate about the acting, Wayne, when we see the scenes of him pitching, the actor can actually pitch. He has incredible form for pitching. Now, Paul, the relief pitcher, who mentions that he doesn't get to play a lot because Wayne is so good, he usually pitches a complete game. Paul cannot throw worth a damn. Oh, it is this awful, oh. like, elbow-only forward flick. Uh, it's rough. Like, think Smalls from the Sandlot before he has any concept of baseball. It's like that. It's really rough to watch. Now, do you think that was a choice made by Paul, the actor, to be like, I'll be bad at pitching? Or do you think Paul, the actor, is just actually bad at pitching? I think Paul, the actor, is actually bad at pitching because <laughs> the catcher, when he catches it, while Paul is warming up in the outfield... The catcher goes, wow, Paul, you really got the hot stuff tonight. And Paul's like, yeah, but I probably won't even get to pitch tomorrow. Wayne always pitches complete games. So no, I think it's just the actor's bad. Yeah. So Shelby goes up to Paul and they start to talk about the situation. Paul again says that he can vouch for Wayne, but he could only vouch for Wayne up until midnight because that's when Paul fell asleep. So he says, if Wayne is the one to do it, I guess he could have left after midnight, but I really don't think he would have. Then what happens always during the commercial breaks in Shelby Woo episodes is that there's danger. So she gets hit with a stray baseball, no! like a foul ball goes up and hits her in the head. The danger thing, I don't know why they put this in, but everyone is always totally fine and it's no big deal. But there's danger. They cut to commercial break and then now she's just back at the police station and she's fine and she's talking with Detective Heinlein. She's totally okay. Getting hit with a stray baseball is like in my top five biggest fears of all time. Oh, for sure. People die. People have died. Yeah, concussion protocol for sure. And I'm like a snob in a lot of ways, but I truly am like, I need to sit behind home plate because that's where the net is. <laughs> like, it's not even a vanity thing. I'm not even trying to be courtside. I just need the <laughs> barrier from where the balls are flying at 100 miles per hour. Valid for sure. 
So she's okay, she's back at the police station, and unfortunately, Detective Heinlein is booking Wayne in light of new evidence. Apparently, some new evidence came out and it makes Wayne look really guilty. So, Shelby, Cindy, and Noah sneak into the evidence room in the police department just right away. They sneak in, they find that the new evidence is a videotape, and thankfully, there is also a stolen TV in the evidence room, so they put it into the stolen TV VCR and play the video to see what's on the evidence. And what we see is it is a video camera from a neighboring building. It was a security camera from a bank. And you can see someone in a number 11 jersey. This is Wayne's practice jersey. You see them. They're spray painting this tag situation. It's the same kind of thing that we saw during the intro. Mm Mm-hmm. I honestly, I think I know who did it. Ooh, okay. I have no doubts, but I want to hear the whole story before I assume and and put someone away. Not me, not me. I know. I like to (laughs) lock them up, throw away the key, shadow of a doubt, lots of doubts. (laughs) So what is interesting about this video, though, is that the person doing the spray painting is using their left arm to spray paint, and Wayne is left-handed, but... Paul is right-handed, the pitcher. And we've also seen Kendra and Karate Bob use their left hand for stuff. Mm. So that is making it look like it's either Wayne could actually just straight up be guilty or maybe it's Kendra or Bob because left hand, left hand. So then we have another wonderful Pat Morita scene because... Shelby and her friends are doing a stakeout of Kendra late at night because she left her building late and she had said this offhandedly to Cindy at one point. You learn that she is apparently just the security patrol for the apartment building and that's how she pays her rent, okay. which seems like a really sweet gig. That was her excuse of why she's leaving her apartment late at night. But with her flashlight, she's got a left hand as well. So that's where we learn that she's probably left-handed. But Pat Morita knows that Shelby is lying because she's yawning really big the next day and he's like, oh, why are you so tired? And she says, I was up late watching that new Sherlock Holmes movie. Hmm. And Pat Morita goes, yeah, I watched it too. Did you like the scene with the sword fight? And Shelby goes, yeah, it was great. And then he goes, there's no sword fight. You can wash all of the windows in the bed and breakfast now. Wow. Wow. Wax on, wax off. Mm -hmm. Truly. While she is washing the windows, her two friends are over and they're getting ready to leave for the state championship game once she finishes her work. And at one point through the reflection of the window, she asks Cindy to grab her something and there's a miscommunication of like get it on this side and she goes oh sorry no your other left and Cindy gives it to her and then Shelby has an aha light bulb moment and is able to solve the crime so I turn to the two of you who do you think it is it's Paul okay what's the reasoning he wants to play he had access to the practice jersey (laughs) Wayne fell asleep He has all the same stuff as him. I think he, like, framed his friends so he could pitch in the state game. Okay, CJ, what are you thinking? I mean, from the start, I thought it was Karate Bob, but it's just almost too obvious. Oh. But I'm just going to stick with it. I'm going to say Karate Bob. The guy is bad news. (laughs) Any white dude who learns karate that seriously and is that old, like, they're just mad about their ex, they're guilty for everything. Okay, I like the thought, but... Megan is correct. Yeah. You're exactly right. Paul was upset that he never got to pitch. He's trying to get Wayne out of the picture. And what the mirror thing had them realize is that the video wasn't direct. Yeah. It was like the reflection of a window. Yep. So it was Paul doing it with his right hand, but it looked like Wayne with his left. So yeah, you nailed it, Megan. Easy case. More like <laughs> Megan will. Case closed. I honestly, I starred him. When he gave the alibi, I was like, it's Paul. Ooh, I like it. The Scooby-Doo approach where the first person that we meet got to be them. Yeah. (laughs) So at the end of the first round, the score is four to zero in favor of Megan. God dang it. 
Hello! If you are listening to this episode of Meddling Adults before April 30th, 2021, that means that the Kickstarter for a new podcast project that I am hoping to launch is live! That podcast project is for Modern Muckraker. This is a scripted, comedic, investigative journalism podcast where I will be playing the host, who is a character that is fully convinced that they are completing the world's most important journalism, uncovering the hidden truths behind pop culture's most burning questions. But really, these questions are going to be things along the lines of, when should Spider-Man take the subway instead of web I want to bring in an entire team to write all of these episodes and do intense research, and we're going to have interviews with highly overqualified guests for the Spider-Man prompt, for example. I will speak with people at Marvel. I will speak with physicists to break down the mechanics of web swinging. I will talk with folks that work for the New York City Metro Transit Authority to get the most accurate information about the subway system, and then we will arrive at an exact answer for when it is more advantageous for Spider-Man to take the subway instead of web swinging. So we're doing a Kickstarter because I want to bring in that entire team, writers, a producer, a researcher researcher, a sound designer, and more, and I want to be able to pay these people up front, so it makes more sense for us to do a Kickstarter as opposed to a Patreon, so if you want to support, you can go to bit.ly slash modernmuckraker, that will take you directly to the Kickstarter, or you can learn more about the show at modernmuck.com. Today's episode of Meddling Adults is brought to you by Audible. Here on Meddling Adults, we cover a lot of books. And sometimes you don't have the time, the dedication to fully sit down and devote all of your attention towards reading a book. Sometimes you want to be able to multitask. And that is where audiobooks come in, and that is where Audible comes in. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment all in one place. It goes beyond audiobooks. They've got a whole bunch of audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, languages, business motivation, and more. But they also have audio content, and if you become an Audible member, you will get access to their very popular Plus catalog, which is filled with thousands upon thousands of audiobooks, but also original audio entertainment, guided fitness and meditation, sleep tracks for better rest, and podcasts. They've ad-free versions of your favorite shows, and they also have exclusive podcasts. That's all included with your Audible membership, and you can download and stream them anytime you want, all that you want, no credits are needed. So whether you want a really serious book, or a biography, or maybe a children's mystery novel, Audible can be your source for those audiobooks. And as a meddling adults listener, you can get a free trial. You can get 30 free days of an Audible membership if you go to audible.com slash meddling, or you can text meddling to 500-500. So again, go to audible.com slash meddling or text meddling to 500-500 to check out audiobooks and all the other wonderful audio programs that Audible has to offer. And thanks, Audible, for sponsoring the show. And finally, today's episode of Meddling Adults is brought to you by Blaseball. Blaseball is the online internet sports experience that you need in your life. It takes the core sport of baseball. It adds a whole bunch of wild rules. It adds a whole bunch of wild teams. And it's just a very fun time. You head on over to baseball.com. You pick a team to support. I support the Breckenridge Jazz Hands, but there's also some really fun teams out there like the New York Millennials or the Dallas Stakes or the Hawaii Fridays or the Yellowstone Magic or the Miami Dale. Whole bunch of fun teams with some truly wonderful player names in there, whether that's Alden Cash Money or York Silk or Jessica telephone or polka dot patterson each season lasts a week they crown a winner at the end of each season the rules change at the end of each season it's fun you can get coins and power-ups to make your team better so you are not only a fan but you are actively helping your team succeed all of that again lives at blaseball.com so check it out and thanks for sponsoring the show and let's get back to that show right now Wait, how many points did she get for that? She got three points. It's three points for getting the correct answer, and then bonus points are one apiece. All right. Well, Mike, you look really great today. Did you know that? I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, I will I will keep that in the back of my brain. God but, damn uh, it. All right. <laughs> 
That wasn't even like good. CJ, you got to make people feel nice. And he knew that you were just doing it for, I almost feel like you should get negative points for how transparent that was. Now I'm embarrassed that I guess your moves, quote unquote, worked on me. Oh, no. So let's go into our second mystery, which is called Fool's Gold. So the opening scene we see is a after-hours footage of what looks like a scuba gear store. And there is a coin on display. And in the background, there's a TV playing a news clip. We would assume on loop where it's the person talking about the coin. And it's Mr. Papa's, the guy who owns the scuba store, talking about how he found this old coin while diving. It's part of the McPhee treasure. It's priceless. And while this video is playing and explaining the coin, we see someone break in through the ceiling and let a rope down and they take the coin. Wow. Wow. Cut to Detective Heinlein and he's investigating the scene. He's talking with Mr. Papas, the same guy who's in the video. He explains that he owns the scuba store and he had this coin on display and it was bringing in a lot of business and now people are trying to find the rest of the gold in the same place where he found it. So Mr. Papas says that the only suspect that he could think of is this guy named Captain Mac. He is this guy in town. He comes in. He's been giving Mr. Papas a hard time asking him a bunch of questions about scuba gear and stuff but never buying anything he apparently runs a charter boat out of the same marina in town and it's called the revenge Mm. so he is afraid that maybe captain mac because he's been coming in so much it was an excuse a ruse to like learn the layout of the building and and get information about how to steal the coin okay the only other thing of note is that there are some tar based footprints that lead from the door out to the dock, but then they stop at the dock. So we would presume that person got on a boat or swam to get away after stealing the coin. Did Mr. Pappas have any increased security now that he had a priceless coin in his shop? He didn't really. He just had it on display. So he didn't have any sort of security guard or security oh, system God. or anything like that. But he went on the news and talked about how much it was worth. Great. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Your thinking is great because Detective Heinlein asks, why didn't you put it in a vault? Oh, no. Now I'm on the police side. This is not good. <laughs> Papa says, oh, it was bringing in so much business, I had to have it on display. So Cindy suggests to Shelby and Noah that they should take diving lessons so that they can find the rest of the treasure. And Shelby says, no, I don't want to do that. But then they see the diving instructor and he's really cute. So she says, never mind, let's do it. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm here for high schoolers acting like high schoolers. Yes. I'm here for the accurate representation. (laughs) Was the diving instructor anyone we know or is it just a random 90s funk? Classic 90s song. He's got shoulder length, wavy hair Mm. and tall and got nice hair. So boom, 96 right Mm. in there. He's no you two. He's no CJ or Mike. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. CCJ, that's how you fucking do it. (laughs) What the hell? I mean, you get a point. You're not giving out points, dog. Oh, whoops. (laughs) While they are signing up for the scuba lessons, they see Captain Mac with binoculars on his boat, the Revenge, looking at the shop. So looking a little suspicious. So now we cut to the police department and there are reports that the only boats in the marina at the time were boats called the King's Ransom, Pros and Cons, which feels like a very boring boat name, (laughs) and then the Revenge. So now we're back at Grandpa Wu's bed and breakfast, and there is a British guest. She says that she needs to head out early. She wants to check out so that she can catch the first flight back to London. 
And Shelby, who also helps around at the bed and breakfast, notices that she has some tar on her shoes. Mm -hmm. So now Shelby's ears have perked up and she's going into detective mode. So she asks this British woman if she can help book her arrangements. And she says yes. She gives her her card. And we learn that her name is Constance Bennett. Mm. And she is a rare coin dealer. Oh, rare corn dealer. Coin. What'd I say, corn? Oh, did you say corn? <laughs> I did say corn. You are from Indiana. Is this an Indiana thing? Are there some rare corns? Yeah, and the thing is, to me, rare corn is even more valuable than rare coins. <laughs> So Shelby does an incredible move where she gives the phone number of one of the other rooms to this British woman saying that it's the phone number of the airline that she's trying to book with. And then Shelby goes to that room and then picks up the phone and then does a horrendous British accent to pretend to be British Airways. And she says that flights have been delayed out of Florida all day due to alligators on the runway. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Which feels very Floridian and feels very on brand. And Shelby comes back downstairs and the British lady goes, can you believe this? Have you ever heard of flights getting delayed because of alligators on the runway? And Shelby goes, oh, that happened again? Man. Love it. So I love the commitment to the bit. She says that she can try again later. Don't worry about it. So coin lady, she's going back to the room and is going to try to book flights later in the day. So now we're at the diving lessons. Shelby weasels her way into being partners with the instructor during the one-on-one thing where they're learning how to breathe out of it. She notices that there's an odd number of people. So she goes, oh, there's an odd number of people. Could I pair up with you? Putting on the moves, Shelby. Love it. Oh, my gosh. That's like, that's as good as CJ's moves. Yes. (laughs) I just wanted to get on the board. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to give each of you a bonus point just for the back and forth of the insult, the self-defense. Scores five to one, but... I like it. Love, love the banter. So the scuba instructor reveals that his uncle is Mr. Pappas, the scuba owner. And Shelby tries to ask him about the coin. And he says that he doesn't really know much about it because the uncle never let him hold the coin. Later on, we have Captain Mac. The gang sees him go into lunch, so they decide to sneak onto the Revenge and see if they can find anything while he's eating lunch. So there's a ton of information about the coin and the store, very much plastered all over the wall with yarn, that kind of vibe. Ooh, true detective style. (laughs) Yes, very much the meme from It's Always Sunny kind of thing. So that's all over the wall. And before they can safely leave, Captain Mac comes onto the boat and he reveals that his full name is Captain McPhee. I knew it! I knew it! And his great-great-grandfather is the pirate who the treasure belonged to. Yeah, here's the thing. There's not that many Macs running around. My mom is a Mac Mahone, McMahon. Ah. And, you know, you don't have a McPhee and a Mac without them knowing each other or being like, that's my crew. <laughs> So he does let them go, but he does threaten to beat them with his oar that he is holding if they don't. So super chill guy, Captain Mac here. Back at the inn, we have Constance and Grandpa Wu laughing it up, which how could you not when you're hanging out with Pat Morita? They're having a great time. Shelby then is cleaning her room, but definitely doing it so that she can snoop around. And while she's doing so, she finds a coin in her luggage. And it looks just like the coin on the video that we saw. So she calls Detective Heinlein. He comes over. They confront Constance about it. And she says that it's from a British museum because it is the same printing as the coin in question. So she brought the coin as a means of verifying if this coin was actually legitimate or if Mr. Pappas was making a fake coin and pretending that it was real. Okay. 
I mean, she's a coin dealer. Right. So Shelby then asks, but what about the tar on your shoe? And she says it's from the beach. Surely this must happen all the time in Florida. I guess. I don't know. I've not really seen tar on a Florida beach, but British lady says that it's very common. Hmm. She says that she could clear everything up with one call home. And Detective Heinlein says you can do it from the police station and takes her away. Final thing that happens before the big reveal is that the diving lessons are coming up and that Mr. Papa's video is playing in the store. And one of the things that he says on the video, the interviewer asks him, did you try to find the rest of the treasure? And he says that he wasn't able to because I was running out of air. But in the video, you can see that the tank in frame isn't close to empty. It's like halfway. So Shelby thinks that that is kind of fishy. So... Those are all of the clues that get laid out. The next scene where the reveal happens is like very obvious. So I would give it away if I describe how it works. So now I'm going to turn it over to the two of you. No, I know who did it. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's the hunk scuba drive. It's the hunk scuba lessons guy. What? It's the, it's the, huh, I can't. Huh? The thing is what? now that we're married, it's hard for me to say hunk. <laughs> um, I took it out of my vocabulary, you know, but it is the hunk scuba instructor because that's his uncle. He didn't get to touch it. I mean, a lot of these stories are just men that are like, it's not my turn enough. (laughs) All right, CJ, what are you thinking? I honestly was going to say that too, because it was the biggest turn of these characters. So we go by the honor system. So if you're both right, you will both get the points. But if you want to be different, you could guess somebody else. If you want to go with British coin lady, Mr. Papa's himself, Captain Mac. It's Shelby for once. No, (laughs) I'm going to say it is the hunk. It's the hunk. Okay. You were both close, but not right there. It was Mr. Pappas himself. Damn it. It was fake. So it was all a ruse. It was a fake coin. He did it just to bring in business. So he made a coin that looked like this McPhee coin that already existed. It looks like a coin that does exist and at least is famous enough to be in a British museum, but it wasn't real. The giveaway was the air tank thing because the combination of him not putting any sort of security, him putting it on display, and also this tank thing. Why would he steal a fake coin? That was for business too? I guess it was just to bring even more hype like he already got the news cycle of look at me i found this coin so i guess it was a second news cycle of oh my goodness someone stole this coin so i think it's just him trying to milk as much out of look at this coin as possible okay let's talk more about the rare corn dealer (laughs) yeah so when you find ancient maze of the incan tradition that can get up there yeah listen i've seen some corn that has gone for a pretty penny mummified corn i feel like it could be a thing yes for sure (laughs) there's a youtube channel with a dude eating that shit i put this corn under my bed for four years (laughs) if we've seen anything with all of this crap with nfts and all that like anything can be expensive just because someone says so Mm -hmm. so i'm pretty sure that there could be a black market hype beast corn industry that's out there. Yeah, it's got to be out there. Supreme corn. Now we're getting into our final mystery. The score is five to one, so it is close, but we're getting into the final case of this episode of Meddling Adults, and it's called The Egg Mystery. So this one is one of the Boston episodes. Grandpa Wu is doing a murder mystery night, and he has tenants over, but they are specific tenants because they are the descendants of people that were at the inn, the same inn that Grandpa Wu now has a bed and breakfast here in Boston. In 1927, apparently, a Fabergé egg was stolen. Classic. 
the innkeeper at the time took journal notes about everything, and they took notes from all the tenants that were there at the time, and they're basically doing a murder mystery night, but that crime was never solved. Ooh, wow. CJ, this is like that podcast we listened to about the most famous unsolved art heist in history was in a Boston home that had been turned into a museum. So I'm just wondering if it was based on that. Maybe, could have been. It wasn't an egg though, right? It was uh, a paintings, but there was one object too. Like a, there was some sort of figurine that was taken as well. I'm pretty sure it was very old corn, I think yeah, is what it was. Yeah, corn, very, very old corn, very old corn. <laughs> so they're doing this as a fun little activity for all the people staying at the end, but also if they can figure out the case, Grandpa Wu thinks maybe the Fabergé egg is still in the inn. <laughs> okay, Grandpa. <laughs> so here's the people that are here. We have a guy by the name of David. He is going to be playing the role. They're all doing it in character. David is playing the role of his great uncle, Harper Vandermeer, who was this very biting movie critic in the 20s. Hmm. We also have a guy named Jimmy. He is playing his grandfather, Jay Crowley Barnes, which if you couldn't guess by that name, was an oil tycoon. And he apparently first bought the egg and gave it to his fiance, who is a movie star named Susan Valentine. Shelby Wu is playing the role of Susan Valentine. Apparently, Susan Valentine was going to be a big deal, but she had a really annoying voice, so she never made it big. So Shelby, when she's in character, has to do this very nasally voice the whole time. It's pretty fun. Oh my God, that's like my comedy career. <laughs> is that actually something that's happened where like your voice has been a complaint? Uh, yeah. You go to my YouTube comments what? and it's like, I hate this voice. It's the number one complaint people have. People also just don't like women's voices. I was going to say it's probably that versus actually your voice not being bad because I I would not think that's anything that people would critique you for. Yeah, I, I didn't even I didn't even know it was an option until people started critiquing it. Mm, very fun. I love your voice, Megan. Thank you, honey. <laughs> I'm giving CJ a bonus point for being, oh, being a supportive husband. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's two to five now. So then we have Shelby's friends in the Boston version. It's Angie and Vince, but they're very much the same roles where Angie's very competent and Vince is comic relief. So Angie is playing Monique Leclerc, a French ballerina, and Vince is playing a gangster named Newt Gunny Gunderson. And apparently... Gunny was the old boyfriend of Susan, and he wasn't originally invited. He just crashed this whole shindig back in the 20s. So those are all the characters. And then Grandpa Wu's just facilitating the whole thing. He's got the big booklet that tells everyone exactly what their characters did in the time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's running the whole ordeal. There is one final guest, though. It is Christy Sayers. Christy Sayers is Nancy's pseudo-rival. In basketball terms, this would be like Deshaun Stevenson to LeBron, someone who thinks that they can step to the king. But basically, in all of the Boston episodes, Christy Sayers tries to solve the cases that Shelby is on, but she's always laughably wrong. So Shelby is just very annoyed by her and similarly is very annoyed by her being here as well. But she's here because she is the real-life granddaughter of a famous concert pianist named Alicia Sayers. And she's playing her grandmother. Yes, she's playing her grandmother, Alicia. So, Mr. Wu is playing the role of the OG innkeeper as he facilitates. Apparently, it's someone by the name of Bjorn Johansson. Mm -hmm. So, it's very fun to see Pat Morita do a vaguely Netherlands, Swedish, Dutch <laughs> accent of sorts. It's so fun to see him do it because he's definitely making fun of every... When he first says that, he says, like, I'll be playing the role of Bjorn Johansson. Like, it's so fun to hear him do it. 
So they start acting out in the roles. It's very campy. It's very fun. They all have costumes and everything. They do this for the first night and they call it a night and all next day they're doing more of the acting over brunch, lunch, etc. Now, Shelby in the middle of the night gets up to get a glass of water down from the kitchen on the first floor of the bed and breakfast, but she's startled by someone creeping around, and Shelby falls down the stairs, but she is thankfully okay. She's always finding herself into head trauma-related danger, but she is okay, thankfully. And this is the point where Grandpa Wu realizes if someone's sneaking around, maybe the egg actually still is here. Mm. So at first this was just going to be like a fun thing. But now this is legitimately serious where maybe the egg is actually here and one of these relatives is back to try and get it. Mm. Next day happens. It's brunch. And... The situation is that they had brunch and each person left the table once. So in character, everyone does what their little character books say were the excuses of why these people left the table originally. So Harper Vandermeer, the movie critic, he, we learn through the brunch that he hated Susan's acting, but he also has to take heart pills every four hours. So that is his excuse for leaving the brunch table at one point in time. We learn about Susan, who Shelby is playing. Susan, the actress, was once married to Gunny Gunderson, not just boyfriend. They were married. And Jay Crowley Barnes, the oil tycoon, he didn't know about this. So when he learned about this at this brunch, he stormed off in a huff. He went upstairs. That was his reason for leaving the table at some point during the brunch. Alicia, her reason for leaving is that her dress messed up like it got snagged on something and it had a rip and Susan generously offered to have her wear another dress that she had upstairs so she leaves at some point to change into a new dress so those are all the reasons of why our three main suspects have left the table okay so Mr. Wu notes that at this point the story got cloudy and the way that they got their story is that everyone was giving a different police report to a detective when it came out that the Fabergé egg was stolen He says that they don't know exactly the same times of everything, but what they do know is that Susan at some point goes upstairs, and when she did, she noted that the Fabergé egg, which she was very recently gifted, was missing. So that is where they've left off. They decide to take a break, and they'll do more of the acting a little bit later in the day. So now they're coming back after their break, and they're going to eat food. So Harper Vandermeer, movie critic, comes down at 4 o'clock, which is when they're having snacks. And he says, oh, just took my heart pills, like being in character. And Christy Sayers, as Alicia says, wait, my packet says you were supposed to take your heart pills at 3.45, not 4 o'clock. And they're talking a little bit about this, but... That's when Mr. Wu clarifies the whole thing of not everyone saying the same time. When they talked to the detectives, they couldn't agree on the same timing, but he just kept it in each person's book as authentic for what that person said at the time in the 20s. So now we have them eating the snacks, which are cucumber sandwiches. Yeah. And everyone passes out because the food has been drugged. <gasps> the hell? What? <laughs> That's our danger before the commercial break. The cucumber sandwiches have been tampered with. They got roofied and tea sandwiches? Yeah, I guess. What else is in cucumber sandwiches before we move on? Oh, cucumber sandwiches are delicious. You wouldn't like any of the food served at tea, but they're <laughs> like, it's really nice bread. They cut it in like little triangles. There's usually some sort of sauce, be it like a mayonnaise or a cheese, and then yeah. it's cut really thin. And I love a cucumber sandwich. I love little tea food. That's like what Mr. Bean eats. <laughs> Mr. Bean's always 
eaten cucumber sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like the the sandwich version of like a charcuterie board, if you mm-hmm. will, where it's fancy. It's more about the bread or the spread or the cheese, not necessarily a protein, because how much are you really getting out of a cucumber? It's right, just right. textured water, basically. When we come back from commercial break, we see that there was a detective character, someone that was also playing a role. He is played by one of the detectives at the local police department. So when he shows up just to be like, oh, I'm in on the murder mystery, and then there was actual food drugging, he switches from Sherlock Holmes detective to real detective because clearly something is afoot here, which is a fun little twist for him. So he starts interviewing everybody one-on-one because now there are real stakes. Here is the important tidbits we learn from these separate one-on-one interviews. Harper Vandermeer, we learned that he was early for his every four-hour pill. He says he took it at four, but the detective says that doesn't make any sense. When I came in, the grandfather clock was chiming that it was four o'clock, and you were already passed out. So when he came down and said, I've just taken my heart pills, he wasn't right according to what the grandfather clock was chiming when the detective came in. Harper is very confused when... The detective says this. He says, I know that I took it at four o'clock. I have a pocket watch right here. Just like the person playing Harper has a pocket watch that is functioning currently. Mm -hmm. David. Sure, sure. Yes, David. The only other thing from the interviews is people just like not agreeing on the time. That's all we really learn. So after the interviews are done, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And David, out of character, asks Grandpa Wu if he can go into the library to find a book. He's an English teacher. He wants to see if there's anything interesting in the library that he could maybe use for a class in the future. So he goes upstairs. And at that point, the fire alarm goes off. So apparently someone lit something in an ashtray near a smoke detector and a fire had gone off. So the detective starts talking with everybody about what happened. Then we learn that the guy who was playing Jay Crowley Barnes, he had gone into the library area where this smoke was. He had gone in to get a deck of playing cards that they were playing during a break. And he, during the fire, he was David's thing. The guy who was playing Harper Vandermeer, he had just gone into the library and then the smoke alarm went off. So Everyone's been in the library at some point now, and we have reasons for everyone being in the room where the smoke happened. So the grandfather clock then chimes seven o'clock, and Vince notes that it's early, and Shelby says that the clocks were all off back then too, and then she has a light bulb aha moment, and she says she knows where the egg is and what is going on. So I turn to the two of you. Who do you think is behind it? Basically, there's a scene later on where because Shelby knows where the egg is, they stake that out overnight. And in the middle of the night, that person tries to take the egg out of its hiding place. And Shelby Wu is right there and they get caught red handed. Gotcha. CJ, you got any idea? <laughs> this one was a lot to follow. Um, I'm going to go off. I'm going to say Christy. OK. And I think it's Jimmy. Okay, Jimmy, the one who is playing Jay Crowley Barnes. The oil tycoon. The oil tycoon, yes. My guess is that he got mad. He gifted the egg, so he's like, I'm taking the egg. Okay. Mm, Taking it back. Four bonus points. Do either of you have a guess of where the egg is hidden in the house? I'm guessing like in a clock, and that's why the clocks are all fucked up. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, happy to say, Megan, you're exactly right. It was Jake Crowley Barnes and it was in the clock. Boom. I'm a child's detective. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole thing, you're right. Jake Crowley Barnes got really mad that 
his fiance at the time had an ex-husband that she never told him about. So he wanted to call the whole thing off and take the egg back, but wasn't able to do it back then. And apparently he had tried to come back to the inn later, but the grandfather clock where it was hidden was in storage. So he couldn't do it. Now that the clock is back and he was back, he went and stole the egg. That's why the timing was all off because hiding the egg was messing up the counterweight. That's why it was messed up back then and currently. So yeah, that was what was behind the mystery here. And Megan, that means you win this episode of Meddling Adults. Wow. You've reigned supreme. Thanks, guys. You have earned money for fair fight. How does it feel to to have bragging rights for your beloved? I was really kicking myself about that, Mr. Pappas. (laughs) So I'm happy that I was able to bring it home. Very competitive. I would have thought about it for the rest of my life. So it's good that it wound up this way. (laughs) You know what? And I'm happy for you because if anything from all three of these tales, the moral of the story was men are sore losers. So Mm. I'm going to start today to try to change that narrative for men that I'm happy, I'm happy that Megan got this. I also hope it taught you don't try and hide anything from me because I will find it out. <laughs> I will find the egg in the clock. And if that means your penis and something else, I will find it. So don't try and pull over any fancy shit with me. Okay. You got it. Important marriage life lessons that we've learned here on this episode of Meddling Adults. But CJ and Megan, thank you so much for joining. This was such a blast. If people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, where can they do so? Podcasts, internet-wise, whatever. I am at Megan Gailey, M-E-G-A-N-G-A-I-L-E-Y on Twitter. But I would love for you guys to listen to my Lifetime podcast. If you like mysteries, I think you'll like that. There's a lot of mysteries happening on Lifetime. Some of them are, why does that woman's hair look like that? And some of them are actual murders, but it's it's a lot of fun. Maybe I'll do a Lifetime movie for a future episode of the pod. You that could should, be really fun. I haven't dove into those yet. I'm only familiar with their Christmas movie variety, so I'll have to expand. The vault runs deep. <laughs> That's great. And how about you, CJ? At CJ Toledano, fun sports stuff, basketball stuff, all that. Amazing. Great. Well, thank you again, both. This was such a fun time, and you really nailed it. You were on top of the ball, and whether it was solving crimes for Megan or throwing nice compliments at your wife for CJ. You both had your different avenues of getting points and being some truly wonderful meddling adults. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, that's nice of you to say about CJ, about CJ. Hello, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults and also this season of Meddling Adults. Season three has been so much fun. I've had an absolute blast. I hope you have as well. And I want to thank everyone who has helped to make this possible from our crew. So Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Ma'ayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campomanes and Brandon Grugel. The website is by me and Kelly Schubert. But also thank you so much to all of the people who have supported on Patreon, who have given directly on PayPal, 
all of our guests. And I want to give a special shout out to the people who are at our highest tier, the true meddling adults tier at patreon.com slash meddling adults. So huge shout out to Veronica Bartova, Polly Burridge, Jordan Conrad, Haley Hastings, Yogan Shanley, Don't Call Me an Infidora, and Danielle Goy-Bolt. Thank you so much for supporting so much and helping us raise so much money for charity. We will have an update about how much money we were able to raise this season after we run our finances and we see if we can get any sort of fundraiser going. So there will be a charity update episode during the break between season three and season four. We will also do a meddling mailbag in between. So there are going to be some episodes in between seasons three and season four. Don't worry, we're not going to completely abandon you. We don't have a set start date for season four just yet. There's a lot of different factors. Obviously, I'm going to be a very busy boy if the Kickstarter for Modern Muckraker is successful. So we're looking at a late summer launch. So July, August time for season four, nothing set in stone. And of course, I will provide updates during the season break. But again, thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show further before we end up giving the money to our charity winners for this season, you can give directly at paypal.me slash meddlingadults, or you can go to patreon.com slash meddlingadults and support with a monthly pledge. Or if you'd like to help the show out and you can't do so monetarily, getting the word out is huge. Talking about it with your friends, your family, talking about it on social media, any person that you could think of that might like the show, recommending it to them, that can help so much. Leaving ratings, interviews on iTunes, whatever it is, anything that gets the word out about the show is so helpful and thanks to everyone that has done so already. If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to meddlingadults.com. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at meddlingadults on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we also have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash meddlingadults. Thanks so much to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. Multitude is doing a whole bunch of great stuff, including giving out free consulting. So Multitude reserves 10 hours of staff time every month for free consulting and advice for members of underrepresented groups in audio. So if that is you, head on over to multitude.productions and click on free consulting. So again, thanks to all of you so much who made season three the success that it was, and I cannot wait to see you all for season four of Meddling Adults.